from the American School Counselor Association, this is I Hear You Say, a podcast for school counselors and other leaders in education. I'm Jen Walsh, Director of Education and Training here at ASCA. One year ago today, May 25th, 2020, the world witnessed a blatant disregard for humanity when police officer Derek Chauvin pressed his knee on the neck of George Floyd while he struggled to mumble, I can't breathe. Watching police officer Chauvin emotionlessly kneel on a black man's neck without any intrusion from other police officers was troubling. In fact, what the world witnessed through Floyd is a senseless death, which offers a glimpse of centuries of reoccurring racial discrimination, oppression, and bigotry in the United States that have marked and placed black males and other males of color prominently on the casualty list. Too often, young men and boys of color are confronted with harsh racial experiences that alter or even wreck their academic success and progression through the American educational system. For this reason, it is critical that educational institutions and stakeholders, like school counselors, address the specific experiences and needs of males of color. Today, we sit down with Dr. Eric Hines, Associate Professor at Florida State University, Dr. James Moore, Vice Provost for Diversity and Inclusion, and Chief Diversity Officer, Executive Director for Todd A. Bell National Resource Center on the African-American Male and EHE Distinguished Professor of Urban Education at The Ohio State University, and Dr. Paul Harris, Associate Professor at the Pennsylvania State University, to discuss the special issue of the Professional School Counseling Journal, School Counseling and Males of Color. Welcome, gentlemen. I hear you say that George Floyd's tragic death stirred difficult conversations across America. The George Floyd incident is a major American tragedy. It's a tragedy that, uh, unfortunately, many of us have to relive ongoing. And it's so traumatic uh, for so many who have these experiences on an ongoing uh, basis. I think what it actually did they brought to light in a major way because of the major global pandemic that we're enduring right now. I think most of us are in our homes. Uh, we were sitting still and we got to see it. And sometimes it's hard to empathize or realize what others may be enduring on an ongoing basis until you're able to kind of sit still and see it. And so unfortunately, the world was able to view what so many communities have to endure on a day-to-day basis. And I think it created a, a groundswell. It heightened the level of consciousness within groups and between groups. Thus, unfortunately, uh, here we are almost at the anniversary of the George Floyd tragedy. And we can say that there were many, many other occurrences that are similar and equally as impactful as the George Floyd incident. As you stated, Dr. Moore, we continue to see incidents similar to the George Floyd tragedy happening. Has anything changed throughout the last year? I I would say across America, arguably across the world, uh, many um, corporations became more engaged in the process. 
and many companies became more philanthropic and felt like that they they can play a major role in mitigating racism in America. And so companies uh, made tremendous investments to kind of right some of the wrongs uh, in our society. At The Ohio State University, we've had numerous forms. Our former president put a million dollars into C grants, uh, not just to mitigate racism, but to eliminate racism. And I think higher education uh, plays a pivotal role in eliminating racism in America. And I think higher education can leverage its human, financial, and technological resources to help the society make make greater strides around racism and racial inequalities. And many of the things that we do at The Ohio State University, many other universities are following suit, are providing leadership and thinking about the ways in which their institution can play a role in eliminating racism or working to become increasingly more anti-racist. Not only that, there are more conversations and you can look in popular and scientific literature focusing on the two pandemics, COVID-19, as well as the proliferation of racism that we see across America. I'm hopeful because this movement seems a little different from previous movements in our history. And you see people engaged in the struggle reflective of all walks of life. It's very difficult for us to embrace and fulfill the intended ideals of the American dream if you're not afforded full access to the American dream. And so I'm very uh, hopeful and optimistic. And in in a small way, I hope to make a contribution for advancing our democracy. So what are some of the most pressing issues that males of color experience in schools and beyond? Dr. Harris? Well, I would start with the many ways in which males of color in schools are not thriving in the way that they could, right? And so we have a lot of data over decades that have persisted, whether it's disproportionate assignment to special education, disproportionate selection or not, I should say, to gifted and talented programs at the elementary level, disproportionate discipline referrals, and more, right? Placement in advanced level courses. And so unless we are willing to say that males of color are incapable of being in advanced courses or males of color are somehow deviant behaviorally, uh, innately, or males of color are somehow unable unable to thrive in gifted and talented programs, uh, et cetera, et cetera, then we've got to look at structures and policies in place that perpetuate such data. And so those are some of the school-based challenges that we are encountering. And, you know, many visions and missions of schools will always say all kids can learn and we believe all kids can thrive here. And yet we see that data persist. And so, again, unless we're able to say what I just referenced, which, of course, we cannot (laughs) say, then we've got to look at our practices. We've got to look at our training. We've got to look at our policies that continue to perpetuate these challenges that that males of color are having to navigate. Dr. Hines? I would add that we we have to take into consideration the pandemic and post-pandemic issues that males of color 
will face, especially around uh, mental health. A, a lot of the conversation for school counselors and even uh, counselors in training, it has to be, how do we make sure that students are adjusting properly back to a traditional in-class model? How are we dealing with some of the issues that may have happened at home if they were taking classes virtually and at the same time taking care of family, taking care of parents, uh, be, having to contribute to the household, and then coming back to school in the school setting to play more of a student role rather than playing both a caretaker, contributor, and student. So that I think that's one pressing issue that we will have to, to think about uh, as early as this coming fall. I would just add, just more generally, the developmental tasks that all kids have to navigate. Right. Eric Erickson talks about all of those respective crises that all young people have to negotiate. And in and, and thinking about, you know, what Dr. Hines and I just talked about, I think we've got to consider the implications of those and, and how it complicates all of those developmental tasks. Right. Uh, of developing autonomy, of managing emotions, all of those things. And when we consider the emotional toll, the tax, if you will, that males of color disproportionately have to carry. Um, you're going to see some mental health needs that are going to be in need of targeted intervention. You're going to see, again, academic achievement that is not congruent with their capacity. And so social emotional learning and all of the curricula now that that is being developed has to account for and infuse anti-racist proponents to, to make sure that males of color's concerns and needs can be can be addressed. I would say life on the margin is an unpleasant reality for so many of our males of color throughout the educational pipeline. From the cradle to the grave, the stigma inferiority follows African-American and Latin, Latino males with them. And this stigma is hard to shape and it's not limited to one's socioeconomic background. Uh, too often, males of color are seen as a part of a group rather than the individual. And because of that, the stigma is hard to shake. And regardless of the domain in which they enter, people don't always view them in a positive light, which makes their educational experiences daunting. In spite of having to endure all the same things that a student has to endure within the school domain, they also have to deal with this extra uh, burden that is often centered around their race and gender. I think it's very important that uh, we think about ways in which the school council can help the school district become more conducive and more inclusive of all the different backgrounds that enter the school domain. We need to help foster and develop schools that adapt to students rather than expecting students to adapt to the schools. And I, I think when you enter these domains, and many males of color have been conditioned that they have to, this is a part of their experience, but sometimes it's just so traumatic that you either disengage or you become so engaging, you may have the academic outcomes, but it's not always without psychological and emotional consequences. So many of our 
males of color and, and students broadly speaking, but more specifically males of color for the sake of this conversation, uh, they're fatigued right now, emotionally and psychologically. And they're constantly through social media and through popular uh, medians, you see images that reinforce that they're devalued in our society. So you kind of already touched on this a little bit, but what would you say is the role of the school counselor in helping to move these conversations into action? The school counselors play a pivotal role. Like uh, I would argue, say one of the most central roles in our uh, school domain and, and, you know, they coordinate important services. So we need school counselors first and foremost, that they have the multicultural centeredness, if you will, awareness, knowledge, and skills to be able to raise the tide for the whole entire school to ensure that our students are able to maximize the learning opportunities that are ready available to them. And so uh, they need to make sure that they coordinate appropriate services for our students to ensure that they are able to not just perform, but perform optimally. Uh, They need to make sure they have strong, viable, advancing uh, counseling services, as well as small group or whether individual counseling services that are available to our students. And, and because of this great pandemic, as well as all the social upheaval going on, the school council alone is not able to address the many needs that many of our students bring to bear. And so in other words, the school council has to be able to collaborate with their colleagues within the building, as well as bringing colleagues outside of the building to ensure that students are able to perform optimally. There's no no longer we can say that uh, if you're in a school that you don't have the resources. And in many ways, we need school councils who are able to make assessment and realize what are the assets that the school has have to have available to students, as well as think about ways in which they can partner with entities outside of the school to ensure that to fill the gaps from the lack of resources uh, that are available in the school. I hear you say the words collaborate and partner. While school counselors can't do this work alone, as you said, they can serve as leaders in collaborating and partnering with all in the building and outside of the building in the community to do this work and have these conversations. I certainly believe that. And I think we have some stellar school counselors in in America and uh, school counselors are not valued at the level that they should be valued. You can see how that plays out in some schools in America. They either don't have a school council or they don't have enough school counselors for the issues. I know we recommend a one to 250 student ratio, one school counselor to 250 students. But I would argue in some of our most vulnerable schools uh, in America, those ratios needs to be even smaller because of the issues that and challenges that many of these students are confronted on an ongoing basis. And these things are clustered and amplify in some of these communities in ways that we can't even imagine unless you work in these places, but these places have the greatest opportunities and we have to make sure that they have viable resources. We have to get people to understand the significance and the potential impact 
the school council can have in an academic space. They focus on academics, which is a major thrust why students go to schools, but you can't focus just on academics when some of the issues and challenges that males of color are and do on an ongoing basis, they don't leave those challenges and those experiences at the door when they come into the school. They bring them to the school, they bring them in their imagination, in the lunchroom, and we have to find ways in which we can create uh, channels that they can still function optimal in the classroom in spite of um, perhaps not having an optimal situation in their home or community. But also we need to put pressure on institutions of higher learning because we're the ones who train pre-service school counselors and we gotta make sure that we give them viable training to work in some of the most vulnerable school districts in America. Uh, and the only way you can do that, you have to make sure you have coursework, uh, field experiences that are indicative in working in some of the toughest places in America. Professor Moore voiced some critical components of what is needed for leadership with school counselors. I just wanted to add, uh, school counselors are also public, I see them as public relations individuals as well. Uh, we're able to go out and create partnerships in the community that will bring resources in the school to help males of color. I think that's one other issue that I, that we need to ensure that our school counselors and training know is that what are the resources, what, what are the, the corporations, I think, as Dr. Moore said, in terms of bringing in financial resources, who are the stakeholders in the community that we can get buy-in to? in order to get the help or get the resources, but also get these young men uh, the training that they need to be successful in schools. I, I think that's always heavily understated given that teachers are in the classroom the majority of the time and, and they have a pedagogy to stick to where school counselors can do a school-wide and community-wide approach to helping males of color. Absolutely, that's a really good point. We'll hear more from Dr. Harris, Dr. Hines, and Dr. Moore in a moment. But first, the work to dismantle systemic racism in our country is an enormous challenge. Accountability for George Floyd's murder is an important milestone when the killings of so many Black men and women have gone unpunished. The verdict in the state of Minnesota versus Derek Michael Chauvin is a step in the right direction. However, this one decision doesn't begin to repair the centuries of racism that brought us here. So much work remains. As school counselors, we have the opportunity and moral imperative to work to dismantle racist education practices in a system founded on white supremacy. The ASCA ethical standards call for school counselors to be systemic change agents who embrace their roles as advocates, leaders, and collaborators by providing equitable educational access and success. All educators, especially school counselors, have an obligation to work to end racism and bias. We must also work to examine our own biases, enhance our awareness, obtain and demonstrate culturally sustaining knowledge and skills, engage in action through advocacy, and actively combat racism when we see it. School counselors have the power to lead by example and address education policies, procedures, and issues leading to inequity in achievement, access, and opportunity. 
In the coming weeks and months, particularly as school staff and students struggle with acts of racism and racially motivated violence, school counselors will be challenged to support students while also processing their own emotions. ASCA maintains numerous resources to help school counselors and other educators work with students to help them cope with the current crisis and bring about systemic change. These resources are available at www.schoolcounselor.org forward slash anti-racism and are open to all. We are now back with Dr. Moore, Dr. Harris, and Dr. Hines. So the special issue consists of 19 theoretical qualitative and quantitative articles focusing specifically on males of color and school counseling. What are we going to learn and what were some of the motivations for creating this special issue? Some of the, you know, the motivations. And in fact, I think we've outlined a lot of the motivations just in describing the the challenges, you know, males of color are facing and the urgency, the urgency that we all have shared to address those challenges. So I think the motivation is to to do with the God-given talents and gift and voice that we have, what all of us can be doing, which is putting it into practice in the ways that we can, um, you know, for us as academics at our institutions, doing so through writing, through scholarship, um, and through moments like this to to center the voices of males of color so they're better understood and, ho- and, and hopefully better served. So those are some of the motivations. I think broadly, when we look at pieces that were included in this, they are comprehensive in nature, encompassing so many layers of the experiences of males of color and different interventions that can be utilized by school counselors at any level to, again, create, as Dr. Moore said, that optimal achievement on the part parts of uh, males of color. And, and we believe overall this, this special issue really highlights, again, the education and non-education challenges, but also brings to bear the specific ways that school counselors can address all of these barriers. Um, And to do so, I think important to say um, in a way that's not deficit oriented, right? We can be aware of all of the challenges facing males of color, but recognize the systems that curate, if you will, a lot of those barriers and as such highlight and reinforce the strengths, um, the internal assets, the external assets of males of color uh, in the work that school counselors do to see them to see them thrive. I believe that this special issue, I mean, not only highlights the critical and vital role school counselors play in the schools, but if schools can maximize the use of their school counselor and being responsive to the needs of black males, I believe that we could see several generations of uh, males of color, excuse me, inclusive of all males, several generations be positively influenced academically, uh, social, emotionally, and in the area of career and college uh, preparation. And and as Dr. Harris stated earlier, uh, we we have several manuscripts that highlight not only just uh, the asset base, but it also talks about the various ways in which we can help, help males of color. Uh, and I'll highlight just a few of them. For example, we, we have an, an article titled Re- Reexamining Asian American Masculinity and the Model Minority Myth through a school-based counseling group by uh, some pretty good authors, Isaac Burke, Andy Fahm, and, and June Hyam. And, and the purpose of the article is to provide a review of the common issues that Asian American and Pacific Islander males deal with 
uh, such as the minority myth and using a group work approach to work with these young men, especially through a seven session process to make sure that they know how to minimize internalizing the model minority youth, but also empowering these young men uh, in a school setting. And so one of the implications of that article is to have school counselors promote uh, well-being and resilience. Another piece, I'll just highlight an article that, that I wrote with several colleagues. We, we look at the collegiate and pre-collegiate experiences of Black males uh, in a living learning community. And we wanted to know what was their decision-making process of going to college. And there were three themes around that, uh, looking at external influences, parents, teachers, and their peers playing a role in their decision-making process. Uh, we also uh, looked at summer enrichment activities or initiatives in which they engaged in that helped them prepare for college. And also having an extensive network of friends and organizations that they were in once they got to college uh, that helped them uh, persist and, and reaffirm their decision to be in a higher ed institution. We have uh, other articles that talk about Latino males and college preparation. It's one that I, that I personally was excited about as well, uh, one that looks at views and biblio counsel, counseling uh, with elementary Black boys and, and looking at uh, identity, looking at academic preparation, how they can see themselves being successful. And school counselors using biblio counseling to help uh, black males uh, be successful. We also have other manuscripts that highlight how we can uh, help students or black males who may have aggressive behavior. How do we work with them through uh, a program intervention? And also uh, one other one that I want to highlight is using school, family, uh, and a community partnership model to be able to help uh, black males be successful. So I, I believe that this manuscript hits all of our vulnerable populations uh, of males of color, and they really speak to the uh, centralization of the school counselor and what role they play, not only just with helping these young men be successful, but also training the school personnel, uh, working with the community to ensure that their needs are getting met. And I think that's one thing that we all tend to highlight in this manuscript is that school counselors have to be culturally responsive. School counselors have to ensure that they are checking their beliefs at the door. And the other part is that school counselors can't be nice. I know we think about school counselors, that, oh, they're nice. They, you know, they're friendly, they're popular with everyone, but to be a leader and to be able to advocate for all of your students, that nice counselor syndrome, as Professor Fred B. Mack used to talk about, that may not necessarily be the thing we have to do in order to ensure that the needs of our men of color are being met in K-12 schools. You touched on this a little bit already, but it's really critical that the American education system make strategic investments in supporting young men and boys of color beyond what has been done in the past. Now is the time. What are some ways that school counselors can remove education barriers that disproportionately affect male students of color? Well, I, I'll be very generic about it because, and I, and I also would like to underscore that 
there are a lot of negative scientific, theoretical, and popular literature about males of color. Uh, and you don't have to go far and deep to find uh, this negative information. Um, for me, what is most distressing about many of the things that we see in social and behavior science literature and the educational trends that come, come along with it is the complacency and faintness of action. Uh, many of the things that we highlight in this theme issue is not new in terms of uh, the challenges that males of color endure in education and non-education domains, but we tried to frame this theme issue with a cadre of scholars within the school counseling realm and outside of the school counseling realm, a clarion call, if you will, to promote action. Now is the time, more so than any other time in history. And I think George Floyd sort of like produced a reawakening and the sense of urgency around this work. And I would say many of the things that are highlighted, I can put into these buckets, if you will. Uh, there are immense implications for practice and it's broad, specifically for school council and beyond. Uh, immense implications for policy, school policy, and the policy at the macro and the macro level. Uh, many implications for processes that could be implemented uh, across manuscripts um, and many implications for institutions of higher learning in terms of its role in helping advance the work. Dr. Hines? Professor Moore I, did a great job with the broad overview. I, I think one, one, of the, one of the other pieces that when reading over all of these awesome manuscripts was highlighting how much we could use a group work approach for working with males of color. And, and, and the other piece, which Dr. Moore said, some of it definitely is not new, is going back to the foundation. I know Dr. Derek Brooms talked about in his work uh, in, in the special issue of how we can develop relationships and understand the backgrounds of these young men, especially if we want them to engage in college and career readiness and to continue to develop uh, aspirations. Uh, Ballasting and colleagues, they also talked in their study, the mechanisms of matriculation, school counseling resources, and, and college going for Latino men. Just looking at practical implications for school counselors, really creating a college going culture. So, so how are school counselors really creating a norm that college is really, that's the bare minimum, as opposed to being the exception and being able to create access as opposed to being gatekeepers for students to be able to get the resources they need to, to compete at a higher level to get into post-secondary institutions. So I will highlight those two, those three rather, that are in our, uh, as well as the many other strategies that are uh, in our special issue as well. And Dr. Hines, you talked about relationships. Uh, can you tell us how this special issue can help school counselors improve their relationships and the methods in which they work with males of color? Yes. The first thing is to get to know the communities in which they live. 
get to know their parents, get to know who they are, being able to just sit and find out what commonalities do you have with your males of color? Do you play chess? Do you like certain types of music? But also being empathetic, you know, understanding what is going on in our real world and current events, being able to talk to them and, and have, have them even process the issues of uh, the events of George Floyd, the, the events of Amar Arbery, uh, Trayvon Martin. How, how are they feeling? And, and what can we do as school counselors and even for the three of us on here, counselor educators, to better prepare school counselors, whether they're pre-service, in-training, or in-service to better serve them. I think uh, making their voices central to the process of us creating strategies, interventions, or, or getting them resources is going to be crucial. A lot of the times we we could be talking heads and experts, but not necessarily give, getting the lived experiences of these young men. So I, I believe that that's important in order for us to continue to build relationships with males of color. I think overall, the theme is you, uh, we shatter some myths and we share many realities. Of course, uh, many of the challenges, you can't avoid the challenges. Uh, and there are many studies that are being executed, that were conducted and presented in this theme issue. Uh, some of the things that you might think that we've made progress, they illuminated that we didn't make, we haven't made as much progress with many of our males of color as we have thought about. It will be beneficial. Uh, at, at the very least, it will stir conversations across the school counseling community. And we stand ready uh, to be a, a part of those communications. So uh, we recognize the gloom and the challenges that these young men and boys experience, uh, but we wanna be a part of the solution. We're not just scholars who produce research for the sake of research. Uh, we want to translate our work into real action. And Dr. Moore, you had talked a little bit about this already, but if you wanted to elaborate on how might the content of this special issue influence school counselor training? Well, certainly we hope that the counselor education community will also spend some time to peruse some of these manuscripts because um, many of the challenges for a very long time, when we think about the, the challenges that school counselors have in, in some of our most vulnerable school districts in America, oftentimes uh, we didn't put our school counselors in the best position to be able to confront the many challenges that come in the schools where they're placed or where they were hired to work in. Many of our most vulnerable urban school systems, they leave before five years. And, and some of it is we train people to work in the most optimal situations. And then when they're forced to work in school systems where they're not optimal, uh, that cause psychological and emotional trepidation for individuals, primarily to get in many counselor education programs. You, you, you got to be a pretty stellar uh, student. But let's face it, many of our students across America, disproportionately, most of the school counselors are white and female, similar to the teacher education profession. And many, unfortunately, not no blame to them, 
they grew up in communities where they had very little interactions with people who are different, vastly different in many ways than them. And so with that in mind, we have to create educational experiences uh, where individuals are able to cross borders, if you will, uh, to have greater empathy and understanding, not sympathy, but greater empathy and understanding where that empathy is driven out of action rather than I got to get out of this situation because it's just so traumatic for me. And uh, we try to do that at The Ohio State University and in, in our training model, um, but it's a lot more we can do and we should be doing it because we have to do better. Uh, we have a storied history. We have a, a, a major uh, a role. And I like to believe that uh, being a school counselor is a noble profession to be a part of. What was the most impactful thing that you learned while working on this special issue? That's a hard question because there are so many impactful things uh, that were learned throughout. I, I would say just more generally for me, I think it, it definitely reinforced, as we've discussed throughout our time today, all of the layers associated with the systemic and systematic oppression of males of color and highlighted through the work of so many incredible scholars, all of the great work being done in the variety of spaces to address those myriad layers, right? Dr. Royal Johnson, for example, is a, one of the authors out of the Pennsylvania State University who talks about students and their academic resilience coming from foster care. Uh, Dr. Dwayne Johnson uh, and his colleagues talked about, you know, engaging police officers in the schools. Uh, Dr. Ahmad Washington from the University of Louisville talked about using critical hip hop counseling. So all of these things were certainly impactful during during our work of reviewing and getting to comb through all of this really rich and substantive data, uh, myself and Dr. Renee Mays from University of Arizona and other colleagues and talking about athletics um, and how we can ensure student athletes are not just eligible, but actually ready for college and career. I think that that list of impactful things throughout our work is quite long. I'm getting to dialogue and engage one another um, around these topics, the broader issues, the specifics of the, the, the articles written and the ways that we hope um, and, and are confident that it's going to impact the school counseling community from practice uh, to, to training. What I learned from this issue and writing it is how multifaceted the school counselor is when we talk about males of color there are a lot of tools at the disposal of school counselors to be able to ensure that males of color are thriving, can be successful, can uh, take them to the next level in their goals, in, in their dreams, in their aspirations. And I believe that that is a critical piece that we, we all felt was important because it becomes we created a huge repository or created this uh, body of literature now. School counselors can now use to uh, be able to do the important work that should be done in the schools with males of color. And I would even venture to say outside of school as well, because our men are in school, our young males are in school seven, eight hours a day, but they're bringing in 
the other hours of the day, the evening and the weekends and the afternoon into the school setting. So school counselors must address that as well. And what gives you hope today? I'm hopeful because I have this opportunity to work at The Ohio State University. And to me, there's no place for darkness in an institution of higher learning. Uh, I think uh, institutions of higher learning is what uh, preserve and proliferate our democracy. It's very difficult to engage a democracy if you're not afforded a quality education each and every day. See, I have the opportunity uh, to work with individuals that inspire me to, to my very best. And in turn, over time, uh, having these human interactions with students, faculty, staff, uh, alumni, and, and partners, I believe give us the best ability to scale the things that I would totally do for free because I believe in it. And so uh, I believe in the, the redemptive and transformative power of an education. And I think school counselors play a pivotal role in ensuring that people are able to reach their dreams and aspirations. That was incredibly thorough and I just wanna echo the sentiment. Let me just say that. And the only thing I would add, every time I take a breath, I feel like that's an inspiration for me. You know, any day above ground is a really good one. It means I've got another opportunity. We have another opportunity to impact this world for the better. And so at that level, I'll, I'll just keep it there. What motivates me is that I'm here another day. We're here another day. All of us, all practicing school counselors, policymakers, academics, etc. And if we're here, there's something we can say, there's something we can do, there's something we can write, there's a conversation we can have, there's a status quo we can push back on, there's critical consciousness that we can continue to develop, there's, there's social action that we can pursue, there's purpose uh, to be pursued. And as Dr. Moore referenced, that redemptive nature of education, that as long as we're breathing, that, that can be a gift that continues to give. And so on a daily basis, that gives me hope. I'm still here. And so as long as I'm still here, I've got, we've got, I've got, we all have something to offer to make, as it said, the world a better place. And in this specific sense, the lives of males of color, the thriving lives that they ought to be. Dr. Harris and Dr. Moore eloquently summed everything up. I, I, I am hopeful that this special issue will be transformative for our school counseling field. Uh, I decided to go get into school counseling at the age of 19 because of the same experiences that we wrote about, that we talk about, that we write policy about. And I, and I just believe and, and, and see it as my purpose that we, we are moving the needle forward in, in, in helping males of color and being able to uh, service them in a way that is going to change a generation and that is going to uh, push education forward. Thank you so much, Dr. Harris, Dr. Hines, and Dr. Moore for joining us today. Please remember to check out the Professional School Counseling Journal special issue, School Counseling and Males of Color, coming out in the summer of this year. And thank you all for listening. This has been I Hear You Say, the podcast from the American School Counselor Association. We hope to have you back for our next episode, but until then, be sure to check out our website, schoolcounselor.org, for school counselor resources. Also, we'd love to engage with you on all of our social media platforms. Find us on Facebook at the American School Counselor Association, 
Twitter at Aska Tweets, and Instagram at WeAreAska. Thanks and hear from you soon. I'm Jen Walsh, and this has been I Hear You Say.